So, what are we doing here? Well, we are in fellowship together. We're singing joyfully to the Lord. We're sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. We're eating some food. We're drinking some coffee. We're doing life together. We're doing church together. And for us here at Pillar Oceanside, uh, our tendency in preaching is to go through books of the Bible, right? verse by verse. We try to work through it so that we can take all of the Scripture together to see what God would have to say about a particular topic. It also forces, is, is a strong word, but it kind of does. It forces us to work through some of the more challenging Scriptures that are in the Bible. We can't just pick and choose and go, well, it's a little bit, eh, I don't want to I'll avoid that and go over here. We'll see some of that as we get into Genesis even. There are some interesting things. If you've read ahead and you're kind of, you know, or familiar with Genesis, you know some stuff coming that it would be easier just to go, don't worry about that. It has nothing to do with us and we just need to keep going forward. Um, that's just not what we see um, in terms of our responsibility to bring the Scriptures to you. And so when we look at the Scriptures, one of the things that we want to do, whether you're reading it in your home or one of us is preaching up here, the idea behind all of this is that what the Scripture is telling us, the point of the text is the point of the sermon. It's the point of what you're drawing out to apply to your life. That's what, that's what it is, right? And so we need to look to the Scriptures as we're reading it personally, as us, as preaching up here. What is this here for? Why did God put this particular passage in front of us not what we wanted to say, what has somebody else said about it. Why does God put that in there for us? And so I want to make sure that as you're reading and as you're holding us accountable for that, even in the Q&A and other places, um, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what we desire to do. And hopefully you'll see that. Um, so we've been in Genesis. <clears throat> we've been calling it uh, Origins because we see so many things being established in the book of Genesis. And, and Genesis chapter 3 is, is no exception. There are tons of things that we see for the very first time. So last week, Mark covered the first half of, of Genesis. And here, of Genesis chapter 3, I should say. Uh, here's what he covered. The first man and the first woman were given a choice. I'm just going to really boil this down to make it real simple. If you want to go back and listen to it, by all means. But here's what it comes down to. They are presented with a choice that is going to have major consequences one way or the other. And here's ultimately what it comes down to. They could choose to listen to God or they could rebel and not listen to him. That's basically what it comes down to. So leading up to this decision, we know in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we see that God has created this perfect atmosphere, this great environment known as the Garden of Eden, right? Man and women are in perfect fellowship with each other, a perfect fellowship with God. It's like, like paradise, right? That's actually the word that is used to describe it uh, in, some, in some settings. Perfect, right? And now they have this decision that they have to make. And so let me just really boil this down really quickly. Christy, can you put up Genesis uh, 2, 16 and 17? So this is a few weeks back, but this is going to set up the, the choice. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. So, one, one thing, basically, that God is telling him to do. You can do anything else you see here. It's, it's free game. Please, by all means, have at it. But don't 
eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's go to the next uh, from last week. Genesis 3, 6. Here's the response. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the light in the, to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So was their choice obedience or rebellion? Rebellion, right? They did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. They made their choice and like this sort of chain reaction of dominoes, that one domino falls and then boom, you see God's plan for redemption immediately go into action and it goes all through the Bible to the end of Genesis. So that's kind of setting up last week. That's important to know because now we're going to be looking at the fallout of the fall. The fall into sin, that is. So I want to read our text this morning, and then we'll jump in. So here's what we look at this morning. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse... Do I need to pull it up here? There we go. Okay, that's not it. One more. Here, here we go. All right. Genesis three fourteen. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat, uh, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, like one of us, in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So let me pray, and then we will begin this text. Lord, I just ask again for your help. I pray that as your truth is proclaimed, Lord, we would know why you've written this for us. What is it that you need us to know from this message? How should it impact us, Lord, in the decisions that we make on a daily basis? God, in your word is truth, in your word is life, in your word is hope, in your word is instruction. Lord, I pray that as I preach, you'd give me boldness through your Holy Spirit to preach with um, accuracy. Lord, guard me from error and help me to proclaim the riches of your wondrous grace and mercy and love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have questions along the way, that number up there at the top, also the number in your bulletin, you can text questions in. And at the end of the service, we'll come back up and we'll work to answer some of those questions or at least point you to some resources. Okay, so Genesis chapter 3 essentially is known as the fall. 
You can break the Bible down into a couple different ways, but some people like to say there's the creation, there's the fall, and then there's the redemption, the, the, the God's plan to bring us back into new life at the end. So we have a lot happening in these first three chapters real quick, and it gets pretty ugly pretty quick for us, right? Last week, a couple weeks, I was like, this is great. God is creating all these things. It's good. It's very good. Adam's really stoked about his wife and like, man, things couldn't get any better. And then boom, in an instant, it all goes crashing down. So I told you at the beginning that I want to pull a couple of truths out of this to focus on for, so we know what it is that we're supposed to get out of this. So the first thing that I want to focus our attention on is the first point. Sin has entered the world and there is a steep penalty for it. Now look, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about a lot of things that we just read. Interesting things, some semi-pertinent, but I want to boil it down to the most significant things. And what we just read is that sin has entered into the world and there is a steep penalty for it. Amen? I mean, that's not great, but you can amen it still. That's cool. So in the opening verses that we just read, we see three judgments or penalties from God. And he addresses all three of the sort of the main characters, if you will, that have been identified so far. Who do we have so far on the scene? We've got the serpent, we've got man, and we've got woman, right? That's basically what we've seen so far. We've got God, of course, he's always been there. Um, so he's going to address all three of these. Now, Mark helped us last week to see who the serpent is. So who is the serpent? Satan, right? You can go back to the end of the book in, in, in Revelation and see very clearly the serpent of old. That's Satan. So when we're talking about the snake, we're talking about the serpent, we're talking about Satan. So he's deceived man and woman in the garden. He's enticed them to rebel against God, the very thing he told them not to do. And so now he pronounces judgment. He's like, okay, this is the choice you've made. Who does he start with? He starts with Satan. He curses him, right? He says, because you've done this, you're cursed. He tells him, you were craftier than any other beast in the field. Now you're more cursed than any other beast of the field. On your belly, you're going to go, you're going to eat dust the rest of your existence. That doesn't really mean much to us, but it's kind of symbolic of um, humiliation, right? So there, there's that curse that's put on Satan in that way. But verse 15, if you have that in your Bible in front of you, we're not going to go back and forth on all the verses, so I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you. Verse 15, God puts enmity. Now, another word for enmity is hostility between woman and the serpent and between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the offspring. Now, this is an important verse. In fact, it's so important that I want to reserve some time toward the end to come back, but I want to continue on with the judgments that uh, God is laying out, right? So he's got the serpent. We've got that taken care of. Next, who does he address? The woman next, right? Um, verse 16, he says, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth. Now, obviously, I don't have any personal experience with this. I have not birthed a child. I have been in the room when my wife birthed two children, and I can attest to the fact that there was some pain going on, right? 
If you've never seen that, you've seen the movies, you get it, you understand. If you're a woman who's given birth, you understand. Um, there's some aspect of tremendous pain. That's a result of the decision, the fall. You can blame her. You can blame him. You can blame anybody you want. It's not going to change the fact that there's pain in childbirth. Right? But the other thing that God says is that your desire will be for your husband. And another translation is that your desire will be against your husband. <clears throat> so there's a couple different ways to look at this. But based on my study of this and just observing marriages and families and people across my short time on this globe, I think this reveals the idea of the woman having a desire to lead her husband, taking the leadership role, sort of taking it or usurping it is a fancy word, taking the leadership role away from the husband. And in some cases, this is real easy, right? Because the husband is very passive and just lets the wife do whatever. Does that sound familiar? Like Adam? He's sitting there watching this take place. Does he step up and say something? No. He's just like, eh, whatever. So you could say there's a direct correlation to this judgment based on what just happened. Adam steps out of the way. Eve's like, fine, I'll take the role, right? And now as a result of the fall, God says, there will be an aspect of the woman desiring to lead over her husband, even in an unhealthy way. So this can lead to imbalance in the home where two people are trying to take leadership of the same ship, so to speak, right? But ideally in marriage, there's a partnership, yeah? There should be a partnership, uh, cooperation, with the husband taking the lead where it's appropriate. So I don't want us to read into the scripture what's not there. Ruling and domineering from either husband or wife is not God's design. That's not the way it's meant to be. But as a result of a fall, now there's this hindrance where from time to time, a woman's desire may be to step in and take that leadership role over to the detriment of the marriage and the home. Does that make sense? That's an aspect of the fall when we look at the judgment on the woman. Who does God address next in verse 16? Man, I told you, he's going to hit all three of them, right? Nobody's off the hook here. He basically says, because I, you did exactly the opposite of what I told you to do, now, does he curse him? What does he curse? He curses the ground. The ground is cursed because of you. Now, you're still going to have to harvest. You're still going to have to grow food out of the ground. You're going to have to use that to make bread and all kinds of things in order to sustain yourself. But it's going to be difficult. You're going to be sweating and laboring, and it's not going to be joyful at all. It's going to be difficult. But you've got to do it anyway because that's how you're going to survive. Now, some would argue all the way up until the flood, people are only eating vegetables out of the ground. Right? So this is life for them. But now there's thorns and there's thistles and all these things that make it more difficult. But not just the ground. Romans 8, when Paul's talking about the results of the fall, he says that all of creation groans. 
So not, not just the ground, but everything that God has created is under this curse of the fall, and they're all groaning, just waiting to be released from this bondage, and that has effect on us all. So clearly that's not good, right? This idea of having to labor in this way. But there's something far worse in verse 19 that's being implied here. Let's look at verse 19. By the sweat of your face, thank you, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. What is being implied here? What is it? Death. You're going to die. Right? You were brought to life out of the dust. Right? And then if you're returning to the dust, that life is over. So what we see here is God making good on his promise. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. So now what we have is physical death being introduced into the world. It didn't exist as the penalty for sin. But there's something still worse to come. I feel like the, the reverse of like those game show hosts, but wait, there's more, or the um, infomercial people, but wait, there's more bad stuff to come, all right? Already, all these curses and these, these things that are happening to the, the serpent and to the man or the woman, it's like, okay, that's enough, right, Lord? Like, this is already difficult. And some have argued this seems a little bit much, right? All they did was eat some fruit. Like, why are you going to this major extreme here? Now you're talking about death? The fall into sin. Let's just be real with each other. I mean, how far have we really fallen yeah, we mess up from time to time, right? But ultimately, we're still pretty good, aren't we? That's a real question you've got to ask and answer. Part of the problem is that some of us have an inaccurate view of sin. We talk a lot about repenting of sin avoiding sin, having victory over sin, but we don't often talk about the sinfulness of sin, how bad it really is, because it's not fun. Who enjoys talking about how bad sin is? Anybody? No! However, based on what I told you earlier and the truth that we're pulling out of this, that sin is entered in the world and there's what kind of penalty? A steep penalty. We're talking about death. We need to understand some things. And if you don't want to take my word for it, when I ask that question about generally, you know, we mess up, but we're still, you know, mostly good, right? Let's look at Romans chapter 3 briefly. And let's look at a couple of verses here. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths, are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yikes. Paul's not pulling any punches here, is he? 
No one is good, no not one. So we can take ourselves out of the category of, oh yeah, we mess up on occasion, but we're still mostly good. Let me just tell you, sin is not just sort of a moral sickness. It's rebellion against God. It's in our very nature, and it's deserving of the wrath of God. Friends, we're in trouble. We are in serious trouble if we really understand what sin is. We've sinned against a holy and perfect God. But I want to I show you something from what we looked at last week. We talked about the knowledge of good and evil and how when you understand evil, you're exposed to a lot of things that God never really intended us to be uh, exposed to. But another way of looking at this, the knowing good from evil that we see in Genesis 3, is that we determine good and evil as opposed to God. In other words, knowing good and evil, we as humans determine what is good and evil for ourselves, taking God out of the equation and putting ourselves in the place of God, saying, no, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Isn't that all over the world today? You can't tell me what's right or wrong for myself. I believe this is right. Well, I believe this is right. Have not we done that across all of the, the world? Be like God. Take God out of his place and replace us. Telling the creator of the universe that we know better than him. That's essentially what we do in that case. And there's a very real consequence to this rebellion. There's physical death. Yes, we talked about that. But then there's a spiritual death. I want us to go um, to verses 23 and 24 real quick. We can look at that. So this is after these curses have happened, these punishments, these judgments. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden. We'll just stop right there. So God pushes sinful man out of the garden and what was in the garden? The presence of God, right? So now all of a sudden, we're cut off from the presence of God. When we talk about spiritual death, that's what we're talking about, being cut off from the presence of God. Now we're outside looking in. So <clears throat> we know that sin, are, sin has entered into the world. We know that there's a steep penalty for it. But here's, here's the thing, too. Let me ask you then a question. Does God allow us to suffer consequences of sin in this life? Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, whether it's our own sinful decisions or if it's just living in a fallen world, we do have to work through some of the challenges of the consequences of sin. The ultimate sin we know is death. But it's not just all reserved for that final judgment. We will fall, um, or we will experience some of those consequences as well. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's Paul again kind of referring and just, just so everybody's clear, he's like, you know that sin leads to death. Our living bodies will eventually break down and die and will return to the dust. We understand that. But our spirit is eternal. 
Somebody used to tell me that when you get born again, that's when your eternity begins. And for a season, I was like, oh yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. My eternity with God begins then. But essentially, the moment we're born into this earth, we're born with a physical body, but we're born with a spirit that is eternal. No matter what, our spirit is eternal from the moment God breathes life into us. So in our sinful state, we're cut off from God and we will not be with him in heaven, in his presence for eternity. And if we're not with him in heaven for eternity, that leaves one other place for us to spend eternity apart from God. Look at verse 20 real quick. At this point, it's been the woman. The woman, the woman, the woman, the woman. And now all of a sudden, I don't think I have it in there. You can just look it up in the Bible. Um, Adam calls his wife something. Eve, right? Everybody knows that. But there's something hidden in the name of Eve that may be of interest to you. God just told him, you're cursed. <laughs> you're under the sin of, of curse and you are going to die. And now, immediately following that, Adam calls his wife Eve. Eve, roughly translated, means the mother of all living. The mother of all living. Where do you get that, Adam? He just told you that you're cursed and you're going to be dying now. So where do you get this life and this mother of all living kind of language? We'll get there. I just wanted to highlight that briefly. Let's look at verse 21. I think it's really important for us to see that our efforts to cover up sin will never be enough. Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. At this point, what were Adam and Eve wearing? What was it? Birthday suit plus fig leaves, right? They sewed fig leaves together because they were naked and ashamed, right? So they went away and put their fig leaves on, right? So what does God do? He shows up and looks at them and goes, nope, not going to happen. You cannot cover up your rebellion with your own efforts, which is exactly what they tried to do. They're naked and ashamed. I got to cover myself up. And God says, no, you can't make up for that. Your efforts are not enough. Only I can do that. And so what does he provide? Garments of skin. Where do those skins come from? Animals, right? You think those animals are alive when they're wearing them? I mean, probably not. That'd be kind of weird. Um, I wasn't there, so I would imagine no, right? The skins, so they're off of the animal. So what do you have to do to get the skins of an animal? What do you got to do to that animal? So innocent animals had to die and shed their blood in order to cover up sinful behavior of man. Does that sound familiar? So this ties into the second truth. There's only two truths that I want to pull out of this scripture for you today. The first one we already talked about. The second one is... In the midst of this crazy judgment and sin that's happening, God is faithful to make a way. So at this point, you're like, man, this is really heavy. Like, what am I doing here? I don't need to hear this stuff. Well, number one, you do need to hear this stuff. <laughs> but number two is there's hope in the midst of all of this chaos and sin and judgment. While things are looking downright terrible, 
I want to go back to verse 15. Remember I told you we were going to hit verse 15 again. I want to show you something amazing. Pull that up again, please. Thank you. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's hostility. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now leave that up there if you would. This is what really smart people call proto-evangelium or something like that. Anybody ever heard that word before? It's probably the biggest word I ever used in a sermon. And I'm probably not even using it right. Proto-evangelium. Evangelium. Doesn't really matter how you say it. What matters is what it means, which is the first gospel. The first gospel is what this means. It's the very first promise of God to establish a way for sinful humans like you and me to be forgiven and reconciled back to God. You're like, where do you get that from this? All he's talking about is offspring and bruising heads and like, wh where is this coming from, right? Enmity, hostility between you and the woman. This is what we know as spiritual warfare, right? We're talking about Satan and everybody else, <laughs> right? Hostility or enmity. Has anybody ever faced spiritual warfare in your life? Okay. That's when this started. God's saying, the God of this world, Satan, is going to have a plan to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? That's his MO. That's what, he's that's what he wants to do. Take all of us down. We have a very real enemy in Satan. That's where it happens. But then more than that, between your offspring and her offspring. So there's language in the New Testament that talks about um, the, the sons of Satan, or like the, your children of your father, the devil, right? So there's, there's aspects of being under the control of the evil one. All those that are not serving God are serving him. Whether you know it or not, that's essentially what the scriptures are telling us. But then he's, the, the, the language shifts here. Her offspring, he... Singular or plural? Singular. Singular. One person. He. Offspring. Who's that he? That's Jesus. That's the offspring that we're talking about here. And what is the offspring going to do to Satan? It's going to bruise your head. Now, some of your translations might say, crush. Crush your head. And enemy is going to bruise the heel of Jesus. So all of this is represented by what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. He defeated Satan and he defeated death. He lifted the curse of sin. In that moment, there was a fatal blow. There's a head wound happening here. He's bleeding out. Not dead. We don't see that to the very end where he's cast into the lake forever, right? But he's mortally wounded. He knows he's on his way down. So he crushed his head, mortally wounding him. And, and on his way down, knowing that he's what he's bound for, he's going to take every single person with him that he possibly can. He knows <laughs> what's coming, so I'm going to bring everybody that I can. Misery loves company kind of thing, right? So Jesus' death and victory over death is what's pictured here. 
crushing the head. The bruising, the heel, is the actual physical death on the cross. Because, yes, there was physical pain and things happened to Jesus that were unspeakable. But it wasn't a, a, a mortal, fatal blow like it was to Satan. Because three days later, we see that God made good on the promise in Genesis 3.15 when Jesus rose to life victorious over sin and death. <clears throat> so God is faithful, even in the midst of this tragedy in the garden, to make a way for us to avoid the judgment for our own sin. All the way back in Genesis, at the very beginning, right, is God's beautiful grace and love making a way. Our Creator had already had a plan to counteract the choice of man. Now, I've heard people argue this, and you might be thinking this to yourself. <clears throat> this is not fair. I didn't choose Adam to be my representative. Right? Have you ever heard of anybody make that argument? Nobody has? Well, take my word for it. There are people that say, I didn't choose Adam. So why are you telling me that I'm under this curse from sin? That He wasn't my choice. Besides, I wouldn't have done what he did. That's another common one. I would say, you want to make a bet? <laughs> because you already have. Right? Apart from God, we've chosen to replace God with ourselves. We made ourselves the God of our lives, thereby rebelling against him, doing exactly what Adam did in the garden. So, yes, you would have done the exact same thing. Adam's sin was to rebel against God by wanting to be God of his self, of his own life, rather. But here's the other part of the equation. You may not have chosen Adam to be your representative, but you also didn't choose Jesus to represent you either. He volunteered. God only ever chose two people to represent all of humanity. Adam in the Garden of Eden and what the Bible calls the second Adam on Calvary, which is Jesus Christ. Only ever two people. I want to read something for you real quick out of Romans 5 to kind of solidify this idea. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's Adam in the garden, sin. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Leave it there real quick. One act of righteousness, that's Christ's death on the cross, leading to justification, that is um, just as if I've never sinned. Remember that whole thing? And life for all men. Next one, please. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So what does it take to be represented by Adam, the first Adam? The only requirement is to be alive, to be born. Anybody in the room not born? Okay, everybody here was born. You've met the qualifications to have representation by the first Adam, meaning that we are under the curse of sin. Naturally sinful people, enemies of God, E.B. Babel tells us. 
but to be represented by the second Adam, Jesus, the requirement is to be born again. To be born again. Turning from your sin, putting your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you, and to be reconciled back to God as he designed us to be. Becoming not enemies of God, but children of God. So here's the deal. Let's land this thing. As we look at this massive truth from the Bible, sin is a very real thing that every one of us has to contend with. We have, every single one of us in this room, broken the commands of God and we're under the curse of sin. We're headed for spiritual death, separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. That's the reality of what happened in Genesis 3. But as we learn today that God in His grace, His goodness, and His mercy and His love made a way, an incredible promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ to come out from underneath that curse. So right now, in this moment, with no guarantee of tomorrow, you are either standing clothed in the fig leaves of your own good works in the hopes of saving yourself, or you're clothed in righteousness, which God provides through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ shed for you, given freely on the cross. There's no third choice. So like Adam and Eve in the garden, we too are faced with a choice that has major consequences. My hope is that everyone here today has chosen Jesus as their representative. But that's likely not true. So my prayer then is that those who are still wearing their fig leaves and have Adam as their representative, my prayer would be that through the Holy Spirit, God would just open their eyes to see that no matter what you do, you cannot save yourself. And you're under the curse. And spiritual death awaits. So I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to include in that prayer hopefully some, some more clarifying comments about what all this looks like. But would you pray with me? Jesus, first of all, we we thank you, Lord, for showing us in your word this morning that sin is a very real thing, and along with sin, there is a very steep penalty. Lord, that penalty is, is physical death, but it's spiritual death. It's a separation from you for all of eternity. And if that weren't bad enough, Lord, the place that we would spend that eternity apart from you is a place of of misery, of pain, of desperation, of hopelessness. But again, in the scriptures, Lord, that we study this morning, you, you made a way. In the midst of us falling away from you, you made a way. Just like we sang this morning, you removed the veil. You made a direct way 
to hope, forgiveness, mercy, and love. Father, I just pray that everyone in this room right now, whether they've been a Christian for 50 years or they have yet to put their faith in you, Lord, that each one of us would consider what we've talked about this morning, the gravity and the depth and the wickedness of the heart. Lord, you showed us in Romans 3 that there's not one good person, not one, that we're all wicked, desiring to rebel against you and do things our own way and replace you as God. Lord, do we see our sin in that way? Do we see how much we've offended a perfect, righteous and just God. And Lord, because you are just, you can't just sweep that sin under the rug and say, don't worry about it, it's okay. Otherwise, you wouldn't be perfect and righteous. But Lord, I'm just, I'm blown away by the fact that you sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life that we could never live, to die on a cross, to bleed blood that would ultimately be used as payment, almost as if like money to pay for our disobedience and sin on our behalf so that we don't have to do it in hell. What a tremendous gift. You said all we need to do is repent and believe. Lord, change our mind. Lord, we we are not good people. We're sinful people. But God. We just need to know, Lord, that your grace is enough. Lord, we, we can't out your grace. Lord, you continue to forgive and you continue to love us and cherish us and, and provide for us, Lord. But that's only if we believe and depend on you and what you accomplished on the cross. In that moment, we become sons and daughters and inheritance of the kingdom of God. Help us, Jesus. Open our eyes to see the goodness, the grace, the mercy, and love of everything that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you, praise you, I honor you. I ask all this in your name, Lord. Amen.